Welcome to this first episode in the Talk for Peace podcast series, the podcast series in which we discuss a diversity of creative tools through which to facilitate dialogue in peacebuilding contexts. My name is Heidi Riley and I'm a research fellow in the School of Politics and International Relations in University College Dublin. And my name is Maria Adriana de Llana. I'm a lecturer in the School of HAP at Queen's University Belfast. Uh, together we are co-principal investigators for the Talk for Peace research project. This is a project that focuses on exploring the concept and practice of transformative mediation as a mechanism for inclusive dialogue in peace building. The project and podcast series is funded by the Higher Education Authority through the North-South Shared Ireland Initiative. And to find out more, you can browse the website at www.talkforpeace.com and please follow us on Twitter at talkfor underscore peace. In this podcast, we explore alternative methods such as arts and creative approaches, sports and other special interests that can be used to facilitate dialogue in a peace-building context. More importantly, we will be meeting with practitioners, individuals and groups that use a variety of creative tools in their mediative practice. In this first episode, we are very excited to be focusing the discussion around theatre as a tool for transformative dialogue. With us today, we're delighted to welcome two wonderful women who work with Theatre of Witness in association with the Playhouse in Derry, London Derry, in Northern Ireland. So today we have Anne Walker and Kathleen Gillespie. Thanks so much for driving all the way across here to see us in Belfast. So to start with, uh, maybe Kathleen, you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. My name is Kathleen Gillespie. And I have been working in the peace and reconciliation sector for 32 years now, since my husband was murdered by the IRA. I became involved with Theatre of Witness 13 years ago and have continued doing my peace work since then. Thanks, Kathleen. Um, Anne, would you mind introducing yourself there? My name is Anne Walker and I'm a former IRA combatant. I got involved with Theatre Witness in 2010 in a production called I Once Knew a Girl alongside Kathleen Gillespie and I'm still working in that sector now. So just for our listeners to learn a bit more about you, could you tell us a bit of your backstory and how you came to be friends? My husband was murdered by the IRA 32 years ago. Uh, He was used as a human bomb because he was an employee of the Ministry of Defence. They chained him to a van containing 1,200 pounds of explosives, make him drive it while while his family was at home being held at gunpoint by four members of the, the, the IRA. And when he got to the army checkpoint, they, ex- they exploded the, the van by remote control. Five soldiers were murdered. I had a 12-year-old daughter and two sons, both 16 and 18. I knew there was something that I needed for myself keep me sane, to keep me carrying on. So I started training and doing work within the peace and reconciliation sector. I was invited to go and see the first production for the Theatre of Witness because my husband was being spoken about. His murder was being spoken about in the first production. So I was invited to go and see that, which was where I met up with Tess Epinuk, a lady from America who was producing this and when she told me that she was looking for six ladies who were involved in the troubles in whatever way I offered my services and we went on from there and started rehearsing and doing the show. That's when my friendship with Anne 
began. So our friendship has continued now for 13 years and we have started doing work within the community and around the world as well. There are people around who I can't understand my friendship with Anne, which I will allow Anne to tell you about in her own words. I think the most important thing about this podcast today is that I can say that Kellen Gillespie is now one of my closest friends for the past 13 years since we did Theatre of Witness together. My bit of my backstory is that I was born in 1968, but by the age of three I was living in Wales because my father was serving in the armed forces in the RAF. So myself, my mother, my daddy and my two-year-old sister were stationed in Wales, but about to be stationed in Hong Kong when Bloody Sunday happened. And when Bloody Sunday happened, my mother's brother was murdered in the streets of Derry by British paratroopers. And that changed all of our futures. Instead of being stationed in Hong Kong, my daddy would eventually resign from the RAF, knowing that if he didn't, he would probably never be able to come home. My mother and us as a family, we came home the day after Bloody Sunday when she found out her brother was killed. And that led to our changed future life. So I grew up in the streets of Derry uh, amongst the worst of the troubles and it became my normality. It was all I knew. I grew up with parents who were involved in justice campaigns for Bloody Sunday and a campaign called Silent Too Long. Justice for people, ordinary, everyday people from all sides who were affected by the troubles. But I never seen justice being done. I grew up with intimidation, harassment, and I quite often say that the British Army and the police terrorised us. Till eventually at the age of 18 when I was asked by a member of the IRA to join the IRA, I would say yes and as a young woman became a quartermaster in the Irish Republican Army. That's another story in itself because I had a romantic idea and romantic ideals about how that would work and I believed that I was joining my heroes. The reality was something quite different and would reshape my life again. I also suffered gender-based violence within the movement when my officer in command sexually harassed and abused me. I would leave Derry in 93 and move to Limerick where I'd find a man and get married and in 2001, I left Limerick and left him behind. Came back home to Derry with my one-year-old son. And maybe nine years later, when things got rough again, and I wondered why these terrible things kept happening in my life, the possibility of Theatre of Witness came around and my future changed. Thank you very much to both for sharing your story. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about Theatre of Witness, maybe for people who don't know, what is the background, what is the the structure of this approach? So Theatre of Witness is a concept um, that a woman called Taya Sepanek, who was a former dancer, loved the arts, she, she came up with that concept in America 20 years before she ever came to Northern Ireland. What she did was she found that by putting music and dance along with people's stories, something magical happened. She started off listening to elderly people recounting their their memories. And she built on that till eventually she would take that work and try it out within the prisons in America, in Philadelphia. So she went and using theatre practices and her, her arts background, she interviewed life prisoners 
and recorded their stories, transcribed their stories and give it back to them and then brought them together to, to share their stories with each other with a background of music and a background of movement. And these stories would then be obviously not shown outside, but they were presented to the prison guards and families within the prisons and it, it, it was, was something powerful and it was filmed. She went on then to, to expand on that work and she she sort of moved around America and she found stories of refugees coming over the border from America, that treacherous journey, the reasons why they were leaving, um, the treacherous journey getting across the border and life after that. And she presented these stories on stage again and found that there was a lot of underlying stories. I call them the stories that are swept under the conflict carpet of gender-based violence, violence against women, sexual abuse and harassment. And wherever there was trauma, these things were happening. She did stories with Polish women, street workers, trafficked women, who couldn't bring themselves to tell their own stories on stage. And that's the crux of this work. Story owner is the person who she gets to tell it on stage. That's actually the magic of the work. And some of these Polish women eventually did say, yes, I will do this, but she had to get actresses in. So Theatre of Witness was well established, sort of on an American and European basis before she ever came to Northern Ireland. And it was Pauline Ross at the Playhouse Dairy, speaking with an intern, found out about this work and wondered, would this work here in Northern Ireland? Knowing that the Playhouse was coming from a community arts background and that their ethos was to bring communities together through the arts and that there would be healing through the arts. So she had a conversation with Taya and Taya ended up becoming a resident in the Playhouse and began with her first production, We Carried Your Secrets. What she did was she brought people in Northern Ireland from opposing backgrounds. She brought people into a place and for, for nearly a year she worked with people who would never normally be in the same room with each other. We're talking about ex-IRA, ex-UDA, a servant police officer a young man whose father was killed by the UDA, a young woman whose father was a servant police officer, and a young man who grew up on what he didn't realise was sacred ground, grew up in a broken family, and didn't know the value of the places where he grew up. I think by the time she got it on stage, it was really ahead of its time. And I know that on the first night, and I, I didn't see this myself personally, I know Colleen saw it. I did. Mm -hmm. I got to see the the documentary afterwards, which was part of us coming to Theatre Witness. Mm -hmm. But I know that one of the very first comments on the first night of it opening, somebody stood up and said it was like watching open heart surgery on stage. So Taya completed the first one, which was We Carried Your Secrets, and she went on to do four more. She did ours, which was an old woman's production, I Once Knew a Girl. She followed that up with an old male production called Release. Then she amalgamated the three productions, people from the three productions, and called that out of the rubble. And we took that to Utrecht and London. to London. Mm -hmm. Utrecht for the 300th anniversary okay. of the signing of the first peace treaty. And then after that, she went on to do Sanctuary. And in Sanctuary, Sanctuary was refugees. There's Somalian refugees, other people from Africa, but people who had suffered institutional abuse. And one of the women who was in our production actually ended up in that production again because there was a sectarian attack on her son in the interim and she had a whole new story to tell. 
and that's sort of the background of theatre of witness thank you both for this so Kathleen I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about how you first got involved in theatre of witness well, how I got involved in it was that the first production is We Carried Your Secrets, there was a, a policeman in that who was on the recovery team after the explosion which murdered my husband and five soldiers. And they didn't want me to be in town and maybe somebody stopping me and saying, we were at the playhouse last night, they were talking about Patsy's death. And that, so I went, I was invited to the premiere of that and went and I was just, I just couldn't believe what they did, the people who stood up on stage and the stories that they told. And after it was over, um, I, I just couldn't sit still. I had to say something about it. So I stood up and I said that I, I was very proud of the work that they'd done and how brave the people were in doing that. And then Taya made it known that she was looking for six ladies who had been involved in the troubles in some way. She wanted an all-female cast. I nearly got down on my knees and begged her to. <laughs> I said, this was something that I would love to do. So she interviewed us all individually and then she picked her people. We hadn't met each other at the time and we didn't know who was who. So we eventually had a residential and we had a meeting first of all in town and everybody got a chance then to tell their story so that's when you found out who was who. I was told by Taya that there was going to be an ex-IRA woman. I was very anxious to meet her. I didn't know who she was. She knew who I was because she had been told by Taya that I was going to be there and anyway we met up and I'll let Anne tell you the story about the day that we met up. Well, actually, that probably feeds into my next question, which okay. is really around how has working on these projects on, with, with Theatre of Witness, how has that impacted on your relationship and, and, and your friendship? I had heard about Theatre of Witness. I'd heard about We Carried Your Secrets, but didn't think much of it. A friend of mine who was an ex-prisoner knew a wee bit about my story and it'd be friends we had for years. I'd actually been watching his story because he was involved in peace work and sharing his own story at Glen Creek. He encouraged me to go and speak with Taya because Taya was looking for six women. And he told me that he thought it would be good for me and he thought that it would be good for Taya to have my story. So if I'm completely honest, the only reason that I went to speak with Taya was because he asked me to. What I didn't expect was that when I got to start speaking with Taya and she'd shown me that work that I talked about, the prisoners and stuff like that, she'd actually shown me some of that work via video. She seemed so calm and so nice and and then she says, right, do you want to start telling me your story? And I just couldn't get the words out and started crying. And I think it took about three times sitting with her until eventually, and I would only find this out last year, she went back to this person who asked me to go along and she says I don't think this girl's strong enough and he said stick with her she'll, she'll pull through so Taya had sat me down and says listen Anne, I'm not sure if you're strong enough and also Kathleen Gillespie's going to be in this production and if Kathleen's in this production and she can't work with you then I'm afraid you're out so I don't know whether it was around that time or with everything that I felt right I need to do this I need to be doing this thing there was a whole lot of fears as well because I'd been keeping secrets and if I got the part, 
I would have to tell my parents and family and friends would find out. But to get back to me and Kathleen, I went to see the the premiere of We Carried Your Secrets and that, that was the, right, I really do need to do this because I felt the power of it. I would say that it was like a magnetic draw and I felt as if my story was bursting to come out anyway. So got through some more interviews with Tay and she wrote down my story and then that day that she's talking about, she brought all us women together. I like talking about this particular day because it wasn't that she threw us in a room and says, tell your stories. We all met up and I th- there was tea and coffee and biscuits and and a couple of us smoked. So when we were, you were smoking back then? I was smoking smoke back then. <laughs> we, um, so we went outside to smoke and one of the women who was there had polio. So she couldn't, the bin was sort of like up the street a bit. So every time, I made a couple of cigarettes before we actually had our conversations but every time her cigarette got down I would take it off her and walk to the bin and put it out for her because she just wasn't fit like and the, the crack was good because we weren't saying well I'm the Irish woman and I'm the this woman and I'm the that woman it was all nerves and excitement and adrenaline and what's going to happen or what are we going to do about this or who's going to go on stage how are we going to it was all those kind of questions of fear and then we went down we had more tea and coffee and then we had that and I'll call them the humana humana moments because it was sitting round and Taya had the bell ding we'd all close our eyes and relaxation and the room was getting darker and there was the preparation we're going to tell our stories these were all going to be wonderful it was all of that and I call that the breaking of bread that's what was happening what she was doing to us without us realising she was allowing us to rehumanise each other before we could get a chance to dehumanise each other so by the time we sat down telling stories, we were well wound up. We were also well calmed down. We had connected with each other over cups of tea and cigarettes. And then it came to, right, we're going to start sharing our stories. Kelly's hand was up like a shot. Kelly's always first up. <laughs> and Taya then, Taya then says, I'm actually going to ask Anne to share her story first. And the reason she did that, we found this out recently, is because Taya felt that if Kathleen shared her story before me, I wouldn't be able to share mine. Now, I knew that in the room was Kathleen. I knew who Kathleen was. I had met the policewoman briefly, but I knew that she was a servant policewoman, therefore a former enemy. I didn't know the other women in the room. I knew that there was going to be two women from loyalist backgrounds. At at that time, there was eight of us. Two of them dropped out. There was a woman whose father had been bomb disposal and was killed in a bomb in the bog side. There was another woman who was a Sinn Féin councillor, another woman from the Falls Road and two women from loyalist backgrounds. So I sort of thought, right, 90% of the women in this room won't want to be in this room with me. At least there's two women who will understand. And as I got down to telling my story, I was sort of super conscious of all the people in the room, but mostly conscious of Kathleen. I knew it would be difficult for her to hear because I was involved with the IRA when that happened with Patsy and those five soldiers. So I started telling my story and tears and snotters and snuffles and everything else. And I remember when I finished telling my story thinking, whatever this woman has to say, whatever this woman has to do, I'm just going to take it. But what Kelly did next is what has set us up and set the whole group of us up for the friendships that we have bonded through. Kathleen gave me a big massive hug and she said, we'll be okay. We're going to be able to do this. And it was like, 
Oh. Oh. Because I knew that I wasn't coming under this for forgiveness. Kathleen wasn't coming under forgive. And it was that moment of grace. That moment of, it was like, I've heard you. I'm accepting your story and I can work with you. It was, we can do this together. And then after that, it was not but crack in the gut. <laughs> and then after, it was like that sort of release. And the whole place was emotional. And then all the rest of the stories sort of flowed with emotion and everything else. But me and you had it off really quickly. And yeah. that was the catalyst. There was a deep bond. And maybe we didn't even realise it happened. But we were together doing that for 10 months and then going on stage. Yeah. And then not long after that came the first workshops. And the first workshops were literally, right, here's a video of what you did on stage. Away you go and talk about it. And it's like, right, okay, what we do? So we built up how we do things. But we've built up relationship over the years. It's more than friendship. It's relationship. I love Kathleen. I know Kathleen loves me because she gives me her clothes. <laughs> and, it's, and what I love about Kathleen is... Kathleen will hear something or say something and a penny will drop. And you go, mm. right, okay, I never thought about that before. And then you just learn from stuff and you carry that with you. Mm. But she's also a great teacher because Kathleen is straight, honest, and she's quite calm. And the calmness is another story. <laughs> Kathleen doesn't let, her get her, let herself get flustered. I do sometimes, but Kathleen is great calming. And it is, it is friend, relationship and great friendship. Yeah. I mean, I suppose what I'm getting out, out of your description of how you've built your relationships through coming together using theatre is how humanising this tool of theatre and creativity can be and how from that kind of humanising of those that wouldn't necessarily come together, how this can kind of build long-term relationships. Um, and I wonder whether you could say something about how this style of theatre is instrumental in creating spaces for a more inclusive dialogue, for facilitating the humanisation of those who might not necessarily come together. I suppose I want to add as well, is that, do you see that initial thing that Taya did with the, the teas and the coffees and the cigarettes and the breaking of the bread? She continued that on into the work and the rehearsals because she made sure that we supported each other without us yeah. even knowing. Because yeah. she gave us so much control over how this was going to go, how this was going to work, what we were going to say. And that was brilliant as well. But what, <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I see is whenever you do something in the arts, right? One thing is guaranteed. People are going to get tickets and they're going to sit in the audience and they will listen regardless. They'll listen right to the end. And that's not something you can say, right, let's have a panel discussion and you go into your room and sit down and say, well, I'm from the loyalist community, I'm from the Republican community, I'm a policeman and I'm a soldier and buddies want to ask us and then all of a sudden all sorts of stuff are firing and things get up and people get annoyed. But what happened with all of these productions, these theatre witness productions, people had an opportunity to sit and to listen and they were asked to listen with the ears of their heart. They were asked to listen without prejudice. When you give somebody permission to do something without them knowing, they'll do it, right? Yeah. We, do, we do workshops now, and one of the things that 
I do in the workshop is we, the people who are in the workshops, they get to watch our videos of our stage productions. And after the videos are quite heavy. So after the videos, I've got into a habit of saying, right, we're going to just change up the atmosphere in the room and get everybody up and they do a couple of deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth. I get them to rub their hands, shake their arms, step their feet, big clap, sit down. And then I inform them that they've just found out that I'm a former Republican activist and I've just got everybody in the room to do exactly what I wanted them to do. Right? <laughs> and sometimes you get that shocked fist and sometimes you get a laugh and sometimes you get that, oh, what have I done wrong? And yeah. so I say to them, right? But it is that when you bring people into an art situation and you don't have to tell them everything that's happening, but you can nearly manage them to a point where there's drops of realisation. Yeah. When you can get an audience into a room and say, this is going to happen, this is something that you haven't seen before, you're going to hear stuff that is going to be difficult, but we've got counsellors in the room, we're going to have a conversation afterwards, you'll have the, the possibility to ask questions and they'll be answered honestly. When you set it up like that, and then they sit for nearly two hours and they watch something from start to finish, they might go through all sorts of emotions in that room, but they'll do it to the end. Yeah. And they'll have an opportunity to think about, take in what they're, they're hearing. And that's the beauty of the arts. But when they see something like the likes of, and like there's more of us that do this work, but me and Kellen are a brilliant example because there are never in a million years, Kellen, would I have ever stood in a room with you without no. thinking, what am I doing here? This woman, is, it'll hurt her and we'll get hurt. But Taya was able to do that. She brought us into the magic of it. I don't know how it really worked. Well, I do because I've heard them talk about it. For We carried your secrets. It must have been terrifying for them. We had the blessing of that coming before us. And we were the blessings then for the next for the, ones. Uh, for the ones coming after us. But I do think, um, personally, the arts can bridge the gap between high up and down low. Politics and ground up. Do you want to speak more? I think there's much more I can say after what you've said. You've said more or less yeah. everything. Maybe we can we can ask you about the the responses that you got because Kathleen, you're saying that sometimes you were worried about some kind of uh, Q and A that may have happened. So just tell us a little bit about the what kind of response do you get? Uh, were, you know, were there any challenging questions, and how did you deal with those? Well. The responses are such that you don't know what to expect from them, especially when it's school children. We've lowered the age. We were at 14 and now we've gone down to 12 because we've discovered that 12-year-olds are very inquisitive and they want to know what's going on. And sometimes the 12-year-olds ask more pointed questions than the older ones. We also do adult groups and they are quite diverse. So... The questions are uh, obviously different coming from an adult perspective than from the children's. I'll just give you an example of uh, a workshop that we did uh, not that long ago. And I speak a lot about the fact that I do not forgive the people who murdered my husband. And I don't find that I will ever forgive them. I've got a lot of answers to, to why... I can justify the non-forgiveness. Obviously, they murdered my husband when he was 42 and left me with our family to bring up and two teenage sons who were at the age who could be approached by any organisation and offer them this, that and the other. And, you know, I had that to worry about. I had a physical reaction 
to the feelings that I was having, the hatred and the anger. And I was warned by a consultant to get rid of whatever I was carrying around with me because it would harm me physically. He said, in five years you'll be in a wheelchair, in ten years you'll be dead. In my talk that day, I said that I decided I would hand all my hatred and anger over to God because he had broader shoulders than I had. So this is why now, I'll tell you, I'm just laid back now. Beforehand, I wouldn't have been quite as laid back as that. But at the break, when we were standing around chatting with one of the students came up to me and he was very much into the God. He says, do you believe in uh, God and how he helped you past it? And I was surprised that he picked that particular piece to question me about. It was about 16, I think. It shows that the diversity of the points that they pick out. And sometimes we could wait a wee while and nobody will speak. So we have to fill in. And we tell them more of our own story when we're filling in and maybe address different things. Uh, I remember uh, one man in particular at a Q&A afterwards when we used to uh, walk about in the foyer and let the people come up to us. And this man came up to me and he took my hand and he squeezed it and he shook it. I thought he was going to shake my arm off. And he said, how can you forgive? How can you forgive? And I was saying, where do I say I forgive? Where do I say I forgive? You have to be an actress because that couldn't... Don't you try and tell me that that happened to you. That that couldn't happen to you and all the rest of it. And he just would not accept that I had not said that I forgive, which I don't and don't foresee forgiveness as yet. But you never, never know what you're going to be asked. You don't know who's going to be in the audience. So this is one of the things I worried about with Anne because she was up in front of a different audience every night. We did 15 shows around Northern Ireland and in Letterkenny, which is over the border. And I was worried for her because she was telling her secrets to an unknown audience. And you don't know what's going to come through in the Q&A afterwards. And would you like to add anything about the responses you get? Over the years, between us all, we've done many, many workshops. We get feedback forms and stuff like that. The first one was 2009, we're going into 2013 now. So over all those years, I would say that of all the responses, 99% has been positive. We've had very few negative responses. A couple of upset people. And I remember one time in Belfast, a man at the front was sitting saying, she knows more than she's letting on, and he was being a bit nasty to me. But... I was actually working that night with the, the policeman and he stood on and says, listen, you're out of order and never really felt threatened. But we have had amazing experiences like we talked about the Garda and Glen Cree who came into the building not willing to hear the voice of an IRA woman on stage. Maybe, would you like to tell us that story? story? Yeah, so, really so we were, myself and Kathleen were doing um, a live per- performance in Glen Cree. Yeah. It's a couple of years ago. It was like an open day. There's a big marquee and there's a lot of dignitaries and people invited. But we had heard whispers about this Garda, Shikana, who was in the tent and he was given out. He did not want to hear somebody from the IRA speaking about anything. And he was quite angry about it. So just for anyone outside of Ireland that might not have come across the term Angarda Shea Connor, um, that's the Republic of Ireland Police Service. 
it was a funny day for me and Kathleen because we had been revising our words the night before and that day and the two of us looked at each other and says that you know what <laughs> if it's not in now it'll never be in so when we went on stage a friend of ours who's also theatre witness was with us but wasn't speaking and he was actually sitting at the edge of the stage and he had his eyes set right on this Garda for fear that the guard would get annoyed upset or shout or cause any hassle and then the next thing we knew, me and Kellen did one of the best performances of our lives. <laughs> Everything went smoothly. The emotion was perfect. The words all came out right. And the first person to stand on their feet, to clap and, and applaud was this guard. And then everybody else got up and clapped and applauded. And it's sort of like another one of the stories that I'm going to tell you about responses is we did one in Belfast. And me and Kelly were on stage. I don't even know if we showed our videos that night, but we were on stage talking. And as we came off the stage and were exiting the room, a woman approached me with her daughter and she looked at me and she said, I came here to hate you. And Kelly was right beside me. And I says, ah, listen, love, you're probably not the first. But then we ended up in a conversation. Me and Kelly, me and you sat down with her. A couple of people came over to talk to us that night, but she was able to tell us that she walked into that night with her chest out and her arms up thinking I'm not going to listen I'm not going to do this listening but she had the opportunity listening by the time me and Kelly had finished talking what we were talking about and what she saw was relationship like with their steps or anything like that I'm forever helping you up or helping you down we're leaning on each other we're normally (laughs) having a bit of a laugh and the crack's good and amongst the sadness and the heaviness we, we always get on great and she's seen this and she ended up saying she was just blown away by the whole thing. So a couple of months later, I'm doing a bit of work with Training for Women's Network and I end up doing an education program, the WIT program with them. And I'm in a room and there's a lot of women in this room. And about two months into the WIT program, one of the women in the room says, my daughter's doing a thesis based on what she's seen that night. And I was all, what night was that now? She says, it's me, I'm the woman who says, I came here to hate you. But I ended up using that story in my workshops. And I didn't realise that the woman who had said that, I was in the room and me and her have become quite good friends. Um, and there's there's people that have come to Kathleen as well and says, that's not your story. That You couldn't possibly be telling your story. All our work is cross-community or cross-border. We know that when we go to a room or a workshop, and there's they're set up this for this format anyway, that there are going to be people who will oppose opinions of, of some of us who you're giving them on stage or stories. We know that they're coming in with that anticipation of what's this all about. But we know that if they can get through it, and they usually do, it's not that they'll go home going, that's me, I'm completely changed. But we've planted seeds. We've been planting seeds for years and years. Just for people to think differently about something. They see the bigger picture, but they place themselves in our shoes. Mm. And I'll keep saying the word relationship. Whether it's me and Kathleen, whether it's Kathleen and the policeman, whether it's Kathleen and another ex-IRA, whether it's me and an opposing former combatant and some of the other groupings that we put together for the workshops. Sometimes people want to hear certain stories, Mm. but people will come in with an idea of what they th- they're thinking, they'll leave with something different. And that's the key. And yeah. then it's up to them 
Well, that mm. they do something further. Do, do you remember we were doing a workshop and I was talking about the unforgiveness and there was a lady crying all, all the time. Do you remember? Yeah. She cried and cried. She was sitting at the back and she cried and she cried. Foreign ladies, yeah. they were. Can, where, where were they from? She was Palestinian. She was They were from all over because there was African women That's there. Right. And well, this lady just cried the whole way through when I started talking about I don't forgive and whatever. And I went out. I was concerned because she had cried so much. So we went down to her afterwards. Are you all right? Is there anything we can do? You know, what, what? She said, you have released me, she said, or words to that effect. She said, in my religion... You have to forgive. If you don't forgive, you die and you go to hell, our, our equivalent of that. And she says, you have shown me that it's all right for me not to be able to forgive those people who murdered my parents in front of me, who murdered her family. And she says, you've lifted, you know what? She, she was unbelievable, the, the, the response it was. And I thought, well, thank God, at least, you know, that poor woman living was, her life under terror. She was crucifying herself because she also worked in Palestine in an Israeli home. Mm. And she all she could feel was anger and bitterness towards these people. So she felt that every day she was condemning herself to hell. She felt as if she Because she couldn't forgive her. And what she got out of that day was, and I think this has come up for us recently, how can we forgive if we don't know the ways if we can't mm -hmm. understand the person that that perpetrates or the government or the country or the community if we can't understand the ways because we can't work things out with each other if we have ideas and perceptions of each other and that's where the dehumanizing is yeah. and religion and some cultures demand that word forgiveness causes so much problems yeah. because they demand that in order for us to move from this life to the next. We are human. We find it really difficult to see the human in other people and that's where all the problems. <laughs> so therefore, when you come back to the arts and this rehumanization of the other or walking in other people's footsteps or seeing the bigger picture or gaining some sort of understanding through true narratives, that's where those seeds are planted best. That's where rehumanization happens. I think it's so interesting the way that you talk about the building of relationships, the humanization of others between yourselves with, as a group in terms of who you're working with in the development of a production, but also the building of relationships with those that you encounter through your performances and through your workshops. And that, in a sense, adds to the power of this tool of dialogue through theatre. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the workshops are our stories, our train artists, but they're also showing the relationship. Mm -hmm. And there's a change that happens with everybody, even if it's the tiniest change, for some people it's bigger. Maybe just a final question to look more specifically at peace building in Northern Ireland and whether you think there is enough space and enough attention and support for these kind of initiatives or whether we need to do some yeah. some more work around this there's never enough support for these kind of initiatives i know that whenever funding is cut it's usually cut from the arts first yeah. in my opinion and I, I we said it in the conversation earlier what we don't do enough of is networking or speaking with other groups that do this it's not what you know, it's what you don't. And recently through networking and speaking with 
people like yourselves and other organisations, I'm actually finding out that we have a way of doing things with Theatre of Witness, but we're not the only incredible people. I'm incredible, but we're incredible people. We're not the only incredible people on the ground that do this type of work. And the more that we find and realise what's out there and who's doing this, the better and stronger we can be. Also, we have a massive problem with the media and news that tells us all the worst of the worst. If we were elevating the good stuff, the great work, if that was what we were hearing on a day-to-day basis, I could sit here now for the next hour and talk about only some of the organisations that I've heard about in the past year. And that's not even touching the tip of the iceberg. But there is great people that are doing great work on the ground. And by networking better and closer with all those, then we could build momentum. But I do think that there's so much necessity for it. And especially with mental health. But I also believe that even though this is conflict based on our part, that this work that we do in any artwork is completely transferable to other situations. It's both transformative and transferable. transferable. That's one of my famous (laughs) sayings about it, right? But it is a case of, if you don't know about it, how are you going to get involved in it? Do you know what I mean? If you don't know the the benefits of it. So there, there needs to be a lot more promotion, a lot more collaboration and a lot more networking. What do you think, Kathy? Exactly what you said. Thank you very much. (laughs) I think that's a really good point because often when we talk about there's not enough investment in in this type of work, it's only seen from a funding perspective. Now, of course, funding is hugely important because these these projects cannot continue without some form of, of, of funding. But there are the other elements, which is promotion, positive media, and actually that often leads to funding opportunities as well. But I wonder if you don't mind me just asking quickly about networking beyond the island of Ireland, because I know you've also worked internationally and maybe what the responses are internationally and whether there can be much more done in terms of lessons learned from this type of initiative in more global context. The school that we work with at, at home in Derry is Upgrove Integrated School. The headmaster there is that young 17-year-old boy who wrote me a letter when my husband was murdered. And he has a group comes over every year from Seattle. It's, it's a different group, obviously, every year, but they always ask for us to come over. There's usually three of us. But, you know, when you hear from the, the people from all over the world and hear what's happening with them, you know, you do realise that there is a lot going on underneath that nobody knows about. Anne's due to attend the UN in March at the Women's Conference in New York. Anne is more involved in all of that than I am. I'm 20 years older than Anne, so I'm not as quite as supple as she is <laughs> to go places. So Anne can tell you about the United Nations. Before I got involved with Theatre of Witness, I would have been the person in the room that if you asked me a question, I'd probably start crying. I wouldn't have been able to speak up, wouldn't have been able to stand up for myself, I wouldn't have thought I had anything to say. Since 2010, this will be fourth United Nations Women's Conference through Training for Women's Network, albeit two of them are on Zoom because of COVID. But I wouldn't have been involved with Training for Women's Network, helping their women use their voices at things like this and some other education programs if they hadn't have come to a Theatre of Witness yeah. programme. 
and heard my story alongside Caroline's mm-hmm. and realized that there was something there. But over the years, myself and Caroline, particularly me and you've done a lot of work together yeah. out far and we have been involved with the fourth amalgamated production that took out of the rubble to Utrecht and to London, mm. made a few contacts there. But we've also, some of us have gone and worked with the Warrington Peace Centre in England. Yeah. And then through that, being connected to other reorganisations, the, the likes of Joe Berry. Plus, we hate to say it, but if we cross the border at all in Northern Ireland, we're in another country, even though it's our own country. So there's been quite a lot of, especially yeah. in the past year, quite a lot of cross-border work mm. with Southern Ireland. But it's also, because when we do our workshops, we do them cross-community, cross-border, cr- shared education, which is when... Catholic schools will invite the correspondent Protestant classroom over and we'll do a workshop with them and vice versa. So there's a shared education program because our schools are so um, segregated. We've also been involved with the Jesuit Commons in America under the education branch of the Jesuit mm-hmm. schools. They came over in 2014 and did a bit of filament with myself and the Exudema. And they're sort of so impressed <laughs> by these two people hanging out together and having jokes and laughs and telling stories that they went away and they says, listen, we're going to come back and do some more filming. So we organized that we would have so many more people like Kathleen, more ex-IRA, ex-British soldier, ex-British paratrooper, ex-UDA. We, we made sure there was a lot of different stories in the room. Yeah. There was a girl whose brother had been killed by the soldiers, but I brought my son, Teresa, from the Falls Road brought her daughter, Dawn Brown brought his daughter, so there was transgenerational. And they did a lot of filming of us connecting and sharing our true narratives and having discussions. And on the back of that, they knew that me and Kathleen were going to America. We were going to New York to do a few talks out in, uh, in New York for different organisations. So they invited me to Philadelphia after that for a week, yeah. but they also invited the ex-British soldier. And me and him went to Philadelphia, Wheeling, Virginia actually, and worked with them and their academics for a week, building an educated peace program that then went into 16 refugee camps. And within that educated peace program was the interviews and the stories that they had filmed back Mm. home. So that was in 2015, 16 refugee camps. The people that we worked with are now not involved with the Jesuit Commons. They're a new organization called Centraity and we will be working with them again in the future. But that programme that went into those refugee camps continues on yeah. and will continue on as probably in more refugee camps. And if you're looking for a response from that, there was a woman from refugee camp in Africa who took on our programme and ended up going to the United Nations in Europe and speaking at the United Nations about this programme that she had done. So it was received very well. Well, it's fabulous to hear about how much this approach and your work has a global reach and how it's been inspirational to others, um, that it's transferable, that it's transformative, it's also transgenerational and transnational. So it's been such a wonderful discussion. Um, Maria, would you like to add anything? I think I'm just going to say you've given us a lot of food for thought. Um and so we encourage everybody who's listening to check out the Theatre of Witness website and to find out more about your performances and your stories and programs. And so thank you very much to both. And also thank you for anybody who's listening. Um, if you like the show, please subscribe. 
and follow us on Twitter for any updates. In the next episode, we speak with uh, artist and visualizer Stephanie Ekman, so don't miss this. Thank you very much.